Town Bank Mortgage, NMLS number 512138, is an equal housing lender. This podcast is for informational purposes only. And now, the man born with a 5 o'clock shadow and with the NMLS number 2028201. He is a gentleman. He is a scholar. He is... Tyler Crawley. Welcome, everyone, to the Monday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am the aforementioned host of this podcast, Tyler Crawley, and... I got to tell you, I'm going to give you a warning. Um, it's going to be kind of a light week with regards to housing data, economic data. Um, it's it's one of those weeks. It's just one of those weeks where there's just not a lot going on. We'll talk about that at the end of the pod. But we do have some good stuff to get into here on this Monday morning. And we're going to start with investors. Now, if you remember, during probably the boomiest time of the boom. There was all of this concern about investors getting involved in buying single family homes and all these theories that were running wild that of course we debunked here on this podcast, but other people of course ran with them because they wanted clicks, they wanted views, and you know, they ran with these crazy ideas. Oh my gosh, all these Wall Street firms are buying up these single family homes and we're, we're gonna become a nation of renters was the argument. And of course, the data was just never back that up. Um, There was an increase in Wall Street buying single family homes, but they made up like at best two, three percent of what was happening with regards to overall ownership. I mean, it was it was minuscule. Um, The area where you really saw it ramp up was actually, you know, sort of small investors, you know, regular people who are like, hey, I'm going to buy a second home and rent it out and become a landlord and, you know, make some money that way. Look how low rents are. I can afford, or I should say, look how low rates are <laughs> and, and rents are skyrocketing. There was this huge, um, you had this, this huge distance between um, where rents were and what you could buy a home for. Um, at least at one point. Now we're kind of seeing those 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 two points converge, which is why you're seeing investors get out of the game. And that's what they found recently in this Redfin report looking at the fourth quarter of 2022. And what they found was the biggest drop in investor purchases ever, like ever. This is worse than 2008. That's how big of a drop that we saw year over year. So Q4 2021 to Q4 2022, investor purchases of U.S. homes fell a record 45.8%. That is down from the 30.2% drop that we saw in the third quarter and is the biggest drop in history. Investor purchases slumped 27% just quarter over quarter, the largest quarterly decline on record besides that whole pandemic thing, which really skewed all of the numbers. Uh, The previous record occurred in 2008, not surprisingly, when investor purchases slumped 45.1%. So it beat it, Not, not, not by a lot, but it is the biggest drop now officially on record. And not surprisingly, the places where this is happening are the boom towns. 
they're seeing the biggest plummet, biggest plummet. I guess you could say that biggest drop probably sounds a little better. Uh, the biggest drop, not like I said, not surprisingly. Uh, for example, Las Vegas saw the biggest decline in investor home purchase with a 67% drop year over year in the fourth quarter. Phoenix took the number two spot with a 66.7% decline. So not far behind, followed by Nassau County in New York, which was that a boom town? I, I, I swear I've never heard Nassau County, New York. I mean, I've heard it before, but I've never heard it mentioned with regards to housing these last few years. So I'm not sure what's going on in, in Nassau County. Uh, Atlanta, it was down 62.8%. And Charlotte was down 61.9%. And not surprisingly, like none of this is surprising. That's what, that's that's my whole point is that, you know, when you do have that big disparity between where rents are and what ownership rates are or what it costs to own a home. And wow, you can make money on the spread, big spread. That's the word I was looking for earlier, spread. <laughs> the big spread. It makes sense that investors are going to get in the, anytime there's money to be made, anytime there's a spread on anything, you know, an ask, you know, you, you have like a stock, right? You have ask bid. Anytime there's a big spread there, there's money to be made. As those two converge, it makes less sense. And that's essentially what we're seeing right now. Rents are starting to fall. We're seeing home prices fall, but for the most part, not falling as fast as rents. And so all of a sudden, if you buy a home, you finance it, you know, you got rates where they are. So you're financing the home purchase and you're going to rent it out. Rental markets aren't so hot. And so all of a sudden it doesn't make a lot of sense to be an investor, especially in single family homes. They by far saw the biggest drop. Uh, year over year with an almost 50% drop, 49.8% to be exact. Uh, condos decreased by 35% and then multifamily properties fell 31%. So they all fell, but single family homes is where you saw the biggest slump. And as I said, I'm going to continue to say, it's not surprising. <laughs> you know, Investors flooded the market because there was money to be made. There is now less money to be made. So they are now flowing out of the market. And what's so funny is the same people who were screaming about how this was going to destroy the country, it was going to destroy the housing market, all these investors. I mean, they scared people so bad. There were HOAs who passed, I don't know, what do they what do they call them? Um, covenants or whatever it is the HOAs call the laws that they pass that like forbade <laughs> investors from buying properties in their neighborhood. I and mean, they were so terrified because all these idiots online who either bought into it or were doing it, like I said, just for clicks and uh, views were, oh my God, we're gonna become a nation of renters and we're scaring the crap out of everyone that investors were gonna take over the housing market. And the reality was there was money to be made, investors float in, there's less money to be made, investors have, have flooded out. And that's what happens. That's what happens in a free market. But what's so funny is the people who are screaming bloody murder when the investors came in are now like, oh, my God, look, this is a sign the housing market's going to crash. And I'm like, wait, what? So it was bad for housing when investors were flooding into the market. Now that investors are flooding out, it's, it's bad. It seems like they just want to sell doom and gloom no matter what's happening. Investors flooding in, it's bad. Investors flooding out, it's bad. It can't be both. All right. Like if you're worried that home prices were inflated by investors, so investors are flooding out and home prices are going to fall. Shouldn't you be cheering that? 
Shouldn't you be like, this is great. This is what I wanted instead of like doom and gloom. So when investors are flooding in and inflating prices, it's bad. When they flood out and drop prices, that's bad. No. If anyone is making that argument and they just seamlessly jump into that new argument, please stop listening to them. <laughs> They're just selling doom and gloom, which is you know very popular to do, uh, especially in a lot of the areas where you know YouTube and podcasting and yeah, people like bad news. We pretend that we oh why why isn't it report good news? A lot of people like bad news is the unfortunate reality of the situation. So yeah, we have investors flooding out because all of a sudden rents are falling, home prices are maintaining for the most part. I mean, anywhere we've seen nationally, obviously San Francisco is kind of the, the outlier leading this this drop in home prices. I think they're down like 15% from the peak. But overall, nationally, home prices have fallen maybe 3 to 5%. And so rents, in some cases, have fallen more. So like I said, the spread between financing a house and what you can make on it rent-wise, it's it's shrinking. They're 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 reaching parity. <laughs> and at that point, it doesn't make any sense to be an investor. And so the free market works. Investors are now flooding out of the single family housing market because there is less money to be made. That is how it works. Um now speaking of the free market, so this is another this is another boogeyman. We're just. This is like the debunking episode. Okay, that's. I. I wasn't planning on it, but now I've realized this is the theme of the show. So you remember, and I love to poke fun at this because immediately upon hearing this theory, I knew it was bogus. Anyone that knew anything about housing, and I didn't know a lot about housing. I still don't know a lot about housing. You know, not as much as people who've been in the business for 10, 20, 30 years. I've been in the business for like a year. And I just knew what this guy was saying was BS. It's the Zillow theory, right? This whole idea that Zillow was buying up all these homes, was manipulating the markets, and was making all this money. And it just, I mean, it didn't make any sense. There was no data to back this up. But of course, this guy on TikTok made the video. It became this huge viral hit. Zillow even responded to it. And then, of course, famously what happened was like a month later, Zillow came out and announced that their iBuying program that everyone was theorizing was making just oodles of money. Was that oodles? oodles of money was actually losing so much money. It almost bankrupted the company. They had to shutter it and they had to sell all the houses. <laughs> they were losing so much money on this program, the exact opposite. And you know, no, of course the, that, that guy, that the guy that made that video still does TikToks and acts like he was right. It's so funny. It's so funny, but here's, this is, this is what I love is that this is what I love about the free market, the free market doesn't pick winners and losers, you know, customers do. And so if you're good at something, customers are going to flock to you. If you're bad at something, customers aren't going to go to you. And the free market is never wrong. <laughs> it's never wrong. So the free market uh, basically, you know, let uh, um, Zillow know their iBuying program was, was really bad. Here's another example of Zillow just not understanding what, what their role, they would just stick to what they're good at they'd probably be very, very successful. But here we have another example of Zillow just failing at something. So this is from the Wall Street Journal. Wall Street is forecasting that Zillow will lose tens of millions of dollars in mortgages this year on the basis of adjusted EBITDA. That's, you know, earnings before interest, taxes, deductions, and, oh, what's the A? Is it amortization? Whatever it is, <laughs> I'm not a tax attorney. Um, 
Even two years ago, when the Mortgage Bankers Association reported 96% of mortgage lenders were making money amid record low mortgage rates, Zillow still logged losses. (laughs) So Zillow opened this like mortgage company and they were, yeah, it is a mortgagization. I was right. I knew knew I was right about that. See, I I remembered my accounting class from, from college. So, yeah, I mean, so Zillow starts his iBuying program. It's absolutely awful. Then they start, hey, we know what we're going to do mortgages, and it's awful. And it's just like, when is Zillow going to realize, maybe just stay in your lane. Just do what you do. They are great for home listings. I check the site daily. I love it for that. But everything else, they just suck at. Like, bad. Like, they lose money doing things that normal people who know the business make a good amount of money on. Like, how are you losing money? Like, two years ago, how are you losing money in the mortgage business? <laughs> like, how is that even possible? And they they found a way. How did they lose money buying and selling homes during the maybe biggest housing boom in this country's history? These last couple of years. They lost money. <laughs> it's like, guys, stop. Stop. Just do what you're good at. Or, or if you're going to expand... Just focus on one thing and get good at that and not just like do you know multiple things at once and suck at all of them and ruin your brand. So another example, of the free market working the way that it is supposed to. Now, here's um, another example of the or I should say the market not working the way it's supposed to. So there is a great piece over at The Atlantic by Annie uh, L- Lowry, 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 and what she writes about is this theory that, what's it, what do they call it? The housing theory of everything in how housing costs, basically how much it costs to live in a certain area, impacts the entire economy, which makes sense. And she writes, high real estate prices eat up young families' budgets, prompting parents to have fewer kids than they would like. And she notes that, San Francisco, probably one of the highest cost places to live, has the fewest kids of like any major area. Building restrictions beget sprawl, spurring people to walk less and drive more, damaging their arteries and the planet's climate. The inability of inventors to move to cities bursting with know-how and capital quashes a country's long-term growth prospects. The inability of workers to move to cities with high wage dents its GDP and driving up housing prices by restricting construction acts as a wealth transfer from renters to landowners. Indeed, housing prices might be the best, the, the single biggest generator of financial disparities in many Western countries. And she notes that you know the way you solve this is you build more homes. And we've talked about that. There was there was one paper that found that if I think it was San Francisco in New York had been able to increase its density in a similar manner to what Atlanta was able to been, you know, has done the last couple decades, uh, our GDP would be like $2 trillion more like the country's GDP. But because so many people can't live in New York and San Francisco, they don't get to move to those places where there is a large, large amount of capital that could have gone to them they could have then invented whatever that product was. It, it it just slows the process or it stops it in some cases. Maybe someone who was going to move to one of these cities and be the next Google was not able to do that. And it's, I mean, it's, it makes sense when you think about it. 
And it is one of the unfortunate realities. Housing does. I mean, it was, it was crazy. I was watching. I think I mentioned this on the podcast before, but I was watching. I like to watch like old shows like everyone. And I was watching the practice. I mean, not old, not like, you know, the honeymooners, <laughs> but I don't know. It depends on who's listening. I guess old could be 1999. I was watching uh, an old episode of the practice from it was 99. And on the show, one of the attorneys who makes $242,000 a year, this is in Boston, was renting an apartment with a friend of hers and they were going to be roommates and the rent was $2,200. I mean, so, you know, one tenth of, oh no, I'm sorry, less than that. I'm sorry. One, no, yeah, one twentieth of her salary was going to housing costs. (laughs) I was like watching this and going, is that how it was? Like, is that what it was like in the nineties? I mean, cause I, I didn't know I was living with my parents at the time. You know, I was, I was in high school. I didn't, I didn't know mortgages and rents and everything else. And I was like, was that, is that common for 5% of someone's salary to go to housing costs? Now you're lucky if you can keep it at 33. Some cases it can be half. And that think about that. Think about how much discretionary income that is. And so, yeah, housing costs rise. It's going to impact the rest of the economy as people have less, discretionary spending. And so it was a very fascinating piece over at the Atlantic. Once again, the housing or everything is about the housing market by Ann Lowry. Um, Highly recommend you check it out. Okay. We'll keep this somewhat of a short show because yeah, there's, there's why not? Why not? It's, it's Monday. (laughs) Keep it brief. So I do want to let you know what's going to be happening this week. It's not a big week. Uh, there's not a lot going on. We do get a lot of housing data, so that's that's kind of fun. Um, but I mean, some days it's we're not getting anything but like the weekly report that we normally get. So on Tuesday we got existing home sales. Of course, always a big report. Uh, they are expected to show sales rising two percent in January to an annual rate of four point two million. So that's on Tuesday. Wednesday, uh, we're getting mortgage demand and rates from the Mortgage Bankers Association. I'm going to bet probably another dip in mortgage demand as rates have not been moving in the best direction, a.k.a. up. Uh, At 2 p.m., we're going to be getting the minutes from the last FOMC meeting. On Thursday, jobless claims are expected to rise to 200,000. And then we also get mortgage rates uh, data from Freddie Mac. So like Thursday, like almost nothing is, is going. It's just the weekly data that we normally get. And then Friday's the busiest day, oddly enough. So next Monday, we'll have a lot to get into. Uh, we're getting personal income and spending. They are expected to increase 0.9% and 1.3% respectively. The PCE price index, and remember, this is what the Fed watches. They don't watch CPI. They watch PCE. It's expected to show price growth slowing to 4.8%. And then at 10 a.m. on Friday, we get new home sales, which are expected to have risen by about 0.3%. So we got a lot of housing data. We got some inflation data. And other than that, it's just a lot of weekly data that we normally talk about here on the program. So we got that to look forward to the rest of the week. You guys enjoy your Monday. We'll see you, or I'll talk to you again, um, I guess Wednesday. I'm not going to do a Tuesday show because there's nothing happening on on Tuesday morning, so I won't be doing a live show. But I will talk to you Wednesday morning for another edition of Markets and Mortgages. And remember, as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate 
and wait. 